All right, amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. It's good to be saved. And it's good to be in church this morning with you. And we're praying for the Lord's soon return. In the meantime, we'll ask the Lord to help us to get something that'll keep us faithful until that time. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as we go forward now for the next few moments in your word. Uh, speak to our hearts. Please block out everything else that would distract. Uh, I know I'm pretty easily distracted, and I'm sure there are many others as well. Help us to have a focus and attention on the Word of God that you might speak to our hearts in no uncertain terms. Father, the needs represented here are more than anybody could comprehend, and I'm sure glad you didn't ask me to meet those needs. We look to you by your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak especially to that one without Christ. Might this be the day of days. Lord, may they be sitting here or looking on live stream. Uh, but we ask, Lord, that you would continue to save souls. We thank you that you are still in the soul-saving business. And help us as believers to be strengthened in the inner man. In Christ's name, amen. We've been looking at the fact that Christ was numbered with the transgressors. We talk about our identification with Christ, but before any of that was ever possible, Christ had to identify with us. The first group we looked at was the poor, the poor. Now, probably most of us wouldn't fall into that category, but it's good to know that if we were poor, he still identifies with us, amen? Boy, that was weak. Some of you not, how many of you had your coffee this morning, huh? All right. Maybe we need to provide that or something. I don't know. The next, <laughs> not now, okay? We're not sending somebody to Starbucks with, you know, an order for 750 coffees. Yeah, they'd love that one, wouldn't they? The next group was the physically infirmed. And, you know, for those that are physically infirm, there is an appreciation that the man of sorrows identifies and was numbered with them. And you know what? It's good to know that if that happens to you, he's not ashamed of you. Amen? He's not ashamed of you. The next group is a group that a lot of people hate, and it's the rich. And if you're rich here today, you don't have to feel guilty because of that, even though our culture would try to guilt you. Someone once said, it's not a sin to be rich, it's a miracle. Uh, he identified with the rich. The Bible says it right out in our text over there in Isaiah chapter 53. And the Bible just exhorts you not to trust in those riches because they're fleeting. And by the way, you can't take them with you. I have preached a lot of funerals in 43 years, and never once, never once. I've, I've ridden in the hearse a couple of times. I don't know why I was asked to do it. Most of the time, I'm third or fourth car back from the family. But you know what? I've never seen a U-Haul in the procession to the graveyard. You can't take it with you. So be generous. Be thankful. Don't be arrogant about it. 
A lot of people think, well, you know, all this success, I did this. Be careful. Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way. Remember his story? He got walking around one day and thinking he was pretty hot stuff because he was the king of Babylon. And uh, God had to humble him. So humble yourself. Humble yourself. I always find out it's better for me to humble myself than make God humiliate me. It's a lot easier if I'll humble myself. But uh, he identified with the rich. He identified with the rich. And then we looked at the sin-wrecked. The sin-wrecked. And uh, I think what's neat about that, we looked at several examples of that. We looked at the maniac of Gadara. But when I think of Mary Magdalene, out of which the Lord in Luke chapter 8 cast out seven devils, boy, one would keep you busy. She was a case. She was sin-wrecked. And you know something? She was the first one to see Jesus after the resurrection. You know what? God doesn't care where you've been. All he cares about is where do you want to go? And so we looked at the sin-wrecked. The next group is another group that many of us have been at one time or another. But that's the religious or the self-righteous. By the way, how many of you understand that we all have a pretty good ability to be self-righteous? Let me give you one of the simplest ways to know that you have that in you. When you look at another Christian or even an unsaved person and go, hmm, how could they do that? You know what you're saying without saying it? I'd never do that. And yet there's a lot of things you would do that that other person wouldn't. Do you know what a Pharisee is? It's a person with one more conviction than me. You know what a Sadducee is? It's a person with one less conviction than me. And we all have a tendency to look down our noses at somebody else. And the Pharisees were a prime example. We'll look at them for a little bit. But uh, Jesus identifies with the religious. You say, how do you know that? Because I know a lot of people that were that way that came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You say, how does that happen? God has to humble them. To be honest with you, there's some of the hardest people to lead to Christ. You guys that go to the prisons and the jails, and uh, we hear the testimonies all the time. In prayer meeting, a guy will raise his hand and say, hey, you know, you know, there's seven guys that got saved last week in the prison and pray for these guys and rattle off seven names. When's the last time you led seven religious people to Christ at one time? Do you know why it's easier to lead them to Christ in jail than it is when they're going to church and they're feeling good about themselves being religious? Because those guys in the crossbar motel, they know they're sinners. You know, if they let them out for a little while to pick up garbage along the side of the road, they got to wear a, a big orange uh, jumpsuit at, that says, sinner. And when people drive by, they look and they go, there's the sinners picking up the stuff on the side of the road. But religious people tend to get full of themselves, as many of us did. And by the way, 
as a saved person, you can do the same thing. You know, I'm a Bible-believing, independent, fundamental, King James, Bible-believing Baptist, and bless God, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't hang with those that do. Man, God's got to be happy he's got me on his team. <laughs> and as a pastor for the past 43 years, I found out about these people. They're really good at getting mad and leaving the church because they didn't get recognized for their greatness. And you know what they always think? When I leave there, it's going to implode. The building on the people, everybody will die, and it'll just be gone. Because I left. It's, it's a sort of religious arrogance that can set in. And if we're not careful, we're all subject to it, aren't we? But I, I look at this story here, and I see a, a prime example of it. Take your Bibles. Look at, look at Luke 7, and let's pick up the narrative in verse 36. And uh, I really thought this week I was going to get through these last two groups. I'm probably not. We're going we're to look at this group, and then we'll look at the last group next week. That'd be okay? That'd be okay we just kind of take our time here? And then I want to I wanna take a Sunday morning and give you my testimony. And this is especially to help our young people. It's especially to help our young people. But uh, so they can learn from my mistakes. Uh, verse 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, speaking of Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. So the Lord identified with the man. He accepted the invitation. He didn't say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go. No, he went. And, and behold, a, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Now, the Jews would use that expression for somebody. You know, we'll say as Christians, well, we're all sinners. If you do any amount of soul winning or witnessing and you talk to people, you'll, you'll, use, you'll say that. You'll say, well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. The only difference between you and me is I'm a saved sinner. But that's not how they're using this. The Jews would use that expression for somebody who was an overt sinner. A prostitute. A drunkard. They looked at all the tax collectors because... Uh, they were Jews that were hired by the Roman government to take taxes from them, and they didn't like them, so they called them sinners. They said one time of Jesus, he eateth with publicans, the tax collectors. He eateth with publicans and sinners. That was supposed to be an insult. And... Uh, so in verse 7, a woman, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, uh, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, now I'm told that this was oftentimes a, a lifetime keepsake, sort of like a, a, a glorified hope chest, and oftentimes the value of what was in that by way of the ointment, that anointing oil, could be a year's wages for a, a working man. So this, you know, this wasn't something she got on sale at Bed Bath and uh, Body. Did I say it right? I almost said Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, oh, is it? 
That sounds like the title of a movie. <laughs> Bed, Bath, and Beyond, you know. All right, well, whatever those places are with all that smelly, oily stuff. My wife goes there once in a while. I will not go in. It's like going into a beauty shop. Just there's smells there that I can't handle. Uh, horrible amounts of horrible things. But I'll wait in the parking lot, and I always tell her, take your time. But I'm not going in. And uh, she brought this, and the Bible says, and stood at his feet, verse 38, behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, now this was uh, considered an act of kindness, and by the way, an act of hospitality. Now, uh, when somebody invited someone over for dinner, uh, usually they were wealthy enough to have a servant, and the servant was to do this. They were assigned to do this, to anoint the feet, to wash them and anoint them, because frankly, you know, walking around with sandals or bare feet through the streets of a place like uh, Jerusalem, where you didn't have cars going down the street, but you had camels. And I know car exhaust is an issue in our country. People worry about it, smog and all that. But uh, camels have exhaust too. <laughs> and if you're walking around bare feet down the street, you're going to get the exhaust between your toes. And that's why only a slave could be, a, could be uh, buttonholed into doing this. You, you couldn't tell anybody else they had to do this, but someone who was a servant in your home or even a, a, an outright slave, they could be made to do this sort of thing. And, uh, of course, we'll see what, what didn't happen here. So she does this. It's an act of hospitality. And the Bible says in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. See, the idea is I would never let her I would never let her touch me or I would never have anything to do with her because she's a sinner. You, you can see the attitude. But Jesus was quite different here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors and the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Now, I love Simon's answer. He answers like, this is a tough one, you know. And Simon answered verse 43 and said, I suppose. <laughs> what do you mean you suppose? This isn't hard. Do the math. One got, one got forgiven of 500, one got forgiven of 50. Which one's going to be the most grateful? Duh. But he's, he, he, he's seeing where Jesus is going, okay? And he's trying to wiggle out of it. And, and he said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water uh, for my feet. But, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not Cease to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not 
anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Now, I want you to stop and think about something because we've all done this. But just don't let it be the characterization of any of us to, to, to be a self-righteous person. We've all been self-righteous. And here's the attitude of Simon. Hey, I invited you over to my house. Isn't that enough? I mean, when I get invited to the party, I don't bring a present because I bring me. Isn't that enough? I mean, man, you could tell, when you invite others, you could say, hey, <clears throat> Rick DeMichael's coming. Isn't that enough? That's the attitude of Simon. This woman here couldn't do enough for Jesus. Simon just thought, well, man, you got invited to my house. You, you could tell your disciples you were at my house. That's the attitude of self-righteousness, and that's what fuels most religion, by the way. Do you know what most religion is? Even if it has the, uh, the, the title or subtitle of Christendom or Christianity, it's, it's spending a lifetime proving to God that he was wrong about what he said about you. That you're a lower than a snake's belly sinner that deserves a one-way ticket to hell. And it's a lifetime proving to everyone and ourselves and God that that's not true. And I don't need Christ as my Savior. I'm doing good enough. And you get to verse 47. Now here's where Jesus really hits it out of the park. And, and by the way... I believe he's making, he's making an appeal to Simon for salvation. And, and by the way, you can, you can do what you want with this. You'd have to do a little study to prove whether I'm telling you right or telling you wrong. Jesus had numerous encounters with Pharisees where he went to their house, had conversations. You have some Pharisees that got saved. The Apostle Paul that wrote a good deal of your New Testament, he, was a, he had been a Pharisee. Self-righteous guy, just like this Simon. Uh, Nicodemus was another one. Do you know there's no encounter recorded in the four Gospels of Jesus having any real conversation with a Sadducee? There's nothing in the, in the New Testament in those four Gospels that indicate a Sadducee got saved. Now, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not saying that proves it never happened. But I'm just saying this, the, 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 the Pharisee movement, which is what it was, was initially a back to the Bible movement. But what happened is they, they started getting more concerned about um, uh, rules than fruit. And it became about the outward more than the inward. They, they try, to, try to fix up the outward to get it to work in where they should have fixed what's in here would straighten out that which is out. And, and so what happened is they got the emphasis on the wrong syllable and, and the minors became the majors and the majors became the minors. And, and pretty soon it was, you know, the... the the gowns they wore and all the different symbolism on. He said, you make broad your phylacteries. They were, those were scripture boxes that were worn on the head or, or on the right arm. And they made them real big so you could see them. 
Look at me. I'm a real Bible guy. But they were the harshest bunch of religious people in the New Testament. And uh, they were the ones that really got the crowd stirred up to crucify Jesus because they forgot about mercy. They forgot about grace. They forgot about equity. They forgot about righteousness. But it's interesting how many of them came to Christ in the Gospels, but with the Sadducees, you just don't see it. The Sadducees tried to buttonhole Jesus a couple times. They had that ridiculous scenario of that woman that, that married seven different brothers who all died one after another, and she just kept marrying them, and they didn't have any kids, and of course they thought they had, you know, they thought they had Jesus cornered on the resurrection. It seems to me once you throw the Bible out and say we really don't believe in the supernatural, there ain't a whole lot God can do with you. We got, I guess it's fashionable these days to call yourself an atheist, and that's supposed to be really, really cool. I don't acknowledge God. Well, guess what? If you profess to be an atheist, and that's all it is, it's a profession, God doesn't acknowledge you. He says you don't exist. Twice God addresses atheism, and both times he says the exact same thing. He says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Doesn't mean he doesn't believe there's a God. He just said it in his heart. And then he spends his whole life trying to prove there is no God. Fighting a God, he says, doesn't exist. When a person reaches that point, there isn't a whole lot the Lord can do for, for, for them until they change their mind about these things. So I, I just think that's kind of interesting. Now look at verse 47, because he makes a pitch to this man's soul. Uh, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He talks to him about forgiveness of sins. And, and Simon doesn't think he, he's got a lot to be forgiven of. But you know something, folks? It's just, it's just a matter of flavors. I, I heard a preacher say one time that sin is like beans. You can't, you can't make it anything but what it is. You know, you can have refried beans, you can have whole beans, you can have uncooked beans, but they're always beans. You know what? In this case, sin is like ice cream. It's just different flavors. And you know, we look at the other guy's flavor and we say, oh, thank God I'm not him. But he might be looking at our flavor and saying, thank God I ain't him. And the Lord saved his his most scathing rebuke in the New Testament uh, for this group. In Matthew chapter 23, he, he rebukes this group. A and he says in verse 26, he says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, uh, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within uh, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. He says, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And you know what happens? They get this sort of uh, pride of one-upsmanship. 
you, you start developing uh, convictions that aren't in the Bible just so you can feel better than the next guy. Like, I just developed one right now. If you're really right with God, you will wear novelty socks. And the fact that you're not wearing them this morning just shows that you need to get right with God. And of course, what's implied is that I am, and you're not. You say, how silly. Folks, I've heard people come up with stuff, and, and, and you know, they swear it's in the Bible, but God doesn't even know it's in the Bible. They have found stuff in the Bible that God never heard of. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Let's talk about what's at the root of this. And by the way, if you have relatives or friends that are lost and they're religious and they're self-righteous as a result of it, don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Keep witnessing to them. Love them. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed for Christ, from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. The shame here is they have so much. They have so much. Folks, do you realize that every author of that book you have in your lap this morning Every, every one of those 66 books within that, that leather binding that sits on your lap this morning was penned by a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ came through the tribe of Judah. And, and yet as a nation, if, if, most, if most Jews today, whether they're in New York or Israel or wherever else, have either gone completely liberal or if they're orthodox, they believe in all of these things except the one thing they need to get to heaven, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Because it's what comes natural to us as sons of Adam's fallen race will latch onto a religion and, and we'll, even, we'll even submit to great austerities. Deprive ourselves of all kinds of uh, uh, not unguilty pleasures. Never mind guilty pleasures. And, and I'm not talking about being separated from known sin. That, that's something we all should do. That's not Pharisee, isn't it? That's separation. That's biblical. I'm talking about a bunch of man-made stuff that we invent so we can feel better than the next guy. And people will run to those religions because they don't want to admit that they're helpless sinners that cannot earn their way to heaven and they need Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a whole nation, his, his kinsmen, and he says in verse 5, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Not as though the word of God hath not taken effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So some have gotten saved. Saul of Tarsus and Nicodemus being an example. And some of you here 
are an example. You got saved out of religion. You thought you were doing pretty good by the stuff you did for God and God was going to let you into heaven someday. Thank God you ditched that idea. Thank God you got rid of that placebo. What a surprise for so many that think that they are uh, the gift uh, uh, to, to mankind when it comes to religion. They are God's gift to man. And they die and bust hell wide open. It's going to be a bigger shock for that guy than it will be for the drug addict. Amen? Look at verse 7. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children, but an Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he's saying, look, just because someone is a Jew doesn't mean they're saved, but it doesn't mean necessarily that they're lost. Some of them did come to Christ. Praise the Lord. They call themselves completed Jews. Sometimes they call themselves Messianic Jews. Don't be afraid to witness to him. Uh, by the way, you get a chance, take him to Isaiah 53. Take him to Psalm 22. You can't miss seeing Christ in those Old Testament books. And verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Children of the flesh. Are you saved? Well, I got baptized. Right question, wrong answer. Water can't, water coming over your flesh doesn't cleanse the sins from your soul. What does? Look at the rest of the verse. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's the promise. Look at chapter 10. Look at the four, first four verses here. Here's the root problem with the religious, the self-righteous, why so many of them are still lost and need to be saved. And yet, Jesus numbered himself with them. Aren't you glad this morning? How, how many of you were a self-righteous religious person before Christ saved you? He identified with you. Verse 1 in chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They'll knock on your door. Try to proselyte you. You say, why are they doing that? They're, they're earning their way to heaven. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have, submitted themselves, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Hey, you know what? Wouldn't be a bad idea for you to knock on your neighbor's door and not do it so you can get to heaven. Do it so you can give them the gospel and they can get to heaven. Just put the shoe on the other foot. Look at verse 3. Here's, here's the crux of the matter. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. Hey, God, look how good I am. Boy, you're lucky to have me. Here, you want to you hear this in spades? Former mayor of New York City. Former mayor of New York City. Mr. Bloomberg. I quote. I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Well, he got one part right. It's not even close. 
But folks, he, he just had the courage to just say, and at least be open and honest about it, what most religious people think. And by the way, after you've been saved a long time, as a fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, King James-believing, tithing, did I leave anything out? I probably did. Subscribing to the entire statement of faith, soul-winning Baptist, don't start thinking you're hot stuff and that God couldn't do without you and that if you left the church, it would implode on all of its members because God's really lucky to have you on his team. No, you want to know something this morning? I'm really blessed that he would save a wretch like me and give me a piece of the action. Ah, oh, bless God. When are the brethren going to realize my talents and abilities and make me chief bottle washer? I'm chief bottle washer material. Look, why don't you just keep your head down, serve the Lord, and, and be glad if God gives you the opportunity to clean the toilets in the church. And then maybe, just maybe, someday, if he wants it, you can be chief bottle washer. But you want to know something? I'm amazed that God would give me any of the action. And that's the attitude we ought to have, folks. That was the problem with these guys. They went about to establish their own righteousness, and they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Look at verse 4. It's very simple. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that what? Believeth. Isn't it ironic that religion becomes not the solution, but the problem? The problem. Um, go to Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3. And we'll close with this. That always makes Baptists happy when the preacher finally says that. Except for those that have been saved a long time, they know that means nothing. Okay. <laughs> I remember I was with Brother Don Espinoza, first time in Argentina, and the stop sign, shaped the same way, red, R says stop. Um, is it Alto or Pate? Pate. Uh, Alto's Mexico, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Alto is Mexico, and Pate is in Argentina. And I said to Brother Don, is, I said, what does Pate mean? Because I figured it meant stop, but I didn't want to be stupid. He said it means nothing. <laughs> and boy, after I saw them drive for a while, I realized it did. It meant nothing. Right on through, man. You know, when you get to an intersection, you just keep your head down and your eyes open because they're coming through. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about himself. And, 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 and Jesus, I believe, rebuked him the way he did in Matthew 23 because they needed the strongest medicine. Because they had it all figured out outwardly and they had a lot of people fooled and others intimidated. And in their hearts, they believed everything was okay. But they really weren't as right with God as they thought. In fact, they were very far from God. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, 
Indeed, it's not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. That's what the Jews uh, called the Gentiles. And by the way, we'll talk about Gentiles next week because that's the last group we're going to talk about, the sixth group that Christ was numbered with. And uh, beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That's, that's the, the, the lost uh, Jews, the Judaizers, the circumcision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have, watch this one now, no confidence in the flesh. Hey, you know what? Be right with God about everything. Look like a Christian. Dress like a Christian. Act like a Christian. Smell like a Christian. Right? Do all the things a Christian's supposed to do, but don't forget why. Because that's where we get messed up when the why gets crisscrossed. When the why gets crisscrossed. He, he, says, he says in verse 4, For though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. See, I don't trust in the things I'm doing to make me righteous. I do those things because I have the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. Just don't get it turned around. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? He says this in verse 5. He says, circumcise the eighth days. He's giving you his pedigree now of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Man, when he said he doesn't believe in Christianity, he did something about it. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now notice the righteousness that's in the law. In other words, he followed every rule. He checked all the boxes. But look what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You see, he valued his salvation in Christ, the work that Christ did for him on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. And you say, how did they compare? Look at the rest of the verse. And do count them but dung. Boy, I dare the writers of these new Bibles to update that word. Make it more current. So everybody can understand. I think you get the idea. That I may win Christ. Now watch verse 9. Here's the crux of the matter. Here's what a religious person needs to do. Here's what a self-righteous person needs to do. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So here you got this religious guy. I mean, he checks all the boxes. He joined the only church that can get you to heaven, right? Isn't that always the gig? You got to join our organization or you're, you know, you're a turd. A spiritual one. And he's doing all the do's and not doing the don'ts. And, and man, he feels really great about himself and he's really proud. 
of himself religiously. And you know what? Because he hasn't trusted Christ when he dies, he's going to hell. And here's a guy over here like the thief on the cross, dying capital punishment for his sins. And he turns to Jesus and he said, oh, and by the way, he turned to his friend first. And this is his repentance. He says, dost thou not fear God? Seeing we are in the same condemnation and we indeed, what? Justly. For we received the due reward of our deeds. Here's a guy on one side saying, hey, Jesus, get me down off the cross if you're the son of God. He dies and goes to hell. All he's worried about is his circumstances. This guy repents. And we and teach I'm getting what I deserve. Wow. And then he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today, today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Don't be afraid to witness to the religious. Don't be afraid to witness to the self-righteous. Because if you're honest with yourself, you can be pretty self-righteous sometimes. And if you're honest with yourself, some of us here today, probably most of us, we were a harder case to get saved than we're willing to acknowledge. I'll acknowledge it freely this morning. I was... I was a dope head, literally. I mean, I smoked marijuana six, eight times a day. I couldn't even get high off it anymore. I had to take stuff like LSD and speed and all that just to even get off. And I was rebellious against my parents, and I, I was living in la-la land, and I was just sin and lust and name it. But if you'd have said, are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm a Catholic. And I'm doing pretty good. What was I going to say next? <laughs> I'm a cheese brain. Yeah, I'm doing really good. You got to come to a place where you say, you know what? All this stuff I've been doing, like Paul said, dung, trash, not going to get me to heaven. It's not worth anything. I, you know what, folks? To buy your way into heaven with anything, whether it's money or works or religion or philosophy or philanthropy, it's all the wrong currency. How many of you have ever gone to a foreign country where they, where, how many of you went to a foreign country where they didn't take the dollar? Yeah. You, you, you could, you, you, some of these countries, like when I was in the Ukraine, I believe they used the ruble. Does that sound right? The what? It's the whatever he said. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. I'm just saying there have been in countries where if you didn't exchange, you didn't exchange your currency for their currency, you, you could have $10,000 in your pocket It'd be just the same if you had nothing. 
Nothing. Folks, you need God's currency. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us from all sins. You need to submit to his currency. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that Christ identified with the religious. He went into Simon's home and ate with him. He wasn't ashamed to do that. But he laid it on the line with Simon. And Father, we're thankful that men like Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle and Nicodemus apparently came to Christ and others. And some of us here this morning are are examples as well. Help us, Lord, to be a witness to these people as we go forth from here. Help us not to be afraid of their their facade, their, their sort of armor against the truth, their arguments. Lord, you taught me a long time ago, I don't have to know all the different things they believe that are incorrect. All I got to do is just give them the gospel and give them the gospel and give them the gospel and give them the gospel because most of them are never going to get saved the first or second or third or tenth time around. They're a lot like I was. They're pretty hard-headed. They're pretty hard-hearted. But I thank you, Father, that there were those that persisted with me. Yeah, I certainly was sin-wrecked, but I fell also into this category as well. Thank you for your patience and your long-suffering. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that it's not on our righteousness we depend, but on the righteousness of Christ, the exchanged life. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord forgiven yourself for us. May we never get proud of ourselves as a result of it, but may we glorify you and be thankful and have a humble spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. What number, brother? Let's stand and turn to number 375. 375, saved by the blood. Saved by the blood of the crucified one, now ransomed from sin and a new work begun. Sing praise to the Father and praise to the Son. Saved by the blood of the crucified
Saved by the blood of the crucified one, the angels rejoicing because it is done. A child of the Father joined heir with the Son, saved by the blood of the crucified I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. Glory, I'm saved. Glory, I'm saved. I'm saved. Thanks for being here this morning.